and still struggle with their old underlying worldview values and assumptions that continue to impact their daily lives. One of the greatest challenges in the conversion process is that a conversion that only includes changed behavior and changed beliefs can still result in a false faith. Conversion may include a change in beliefs and behavior, but if the worldview is not transformed, in the long run, the gospel is subverted and the result is syncretistic Christopaganism, which has the form of Christianity, but not its essence. Adventists have recognized this challenge of unconverted worldviews. In 2010, the Biblical Research Institute worked with the three, the three African divisions to hold a series of meetings throughout Africa, dealing with the issue of dual allegiance and spiritualistic manifestations that were prevalent in African societies, but which, but which were also appearing within Adventist membership. In 2011, the presentations were published by Dr. Donker in The Church, Culture, and Spirits, Adventism in Africa. And it seems that the problem is still with us because we're attending this conference entitled Transforming Worldviews, Biblical Faithfulness in a Pluralistic Age. Uh, it's important to begin with some basic definitions. Uh, Paul Hebert defines worldview in anthropological terms as the foundational cognitive, affective, and evaluative assumptions and frameworks a group of people makes about the nature of reality which they use to order their lives. Charles Kraft, another evangelical anthropology, missiology professor, uh, defines worldview as the totality of the culturally structured images and assumptions including value and commitment or allegiance assumptions, in terms of which a people both perceive and respond to reality. Conversion. Conversion in the Old Testament found expression in the Hebrew word sub, indicating a return to the point of departure. The New Testament uses epistropho and metanoia. Conversion is a supernatural transformation of the mind, affections, and life that restores freedom, self-control, and spiritual union with God that were lost as a result of sin. The Bible speaks about conversion as turning away from wickedness, turning to God from idols, or turning from the darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God. There's also conversion from a psychological perspective that involves a step-by-step -step process whereby a person who knows nothing about God is led to a true knowledge of God. And it usually involves a gradual change in the thinking of the person being converted. And finally, there is transformation at the worldview level. For example, the conversion of the apostles took place gradually as they interacted with Jesus over a period of three years. Bit by bit, their assumptions about reality about the purpose and work of the Messiah and the kingdom of God were transformed. They moved from believing it was proper to treat Gentiles and Samaritans poorly to realizing that God loved Gentiles and that they could also be a part of God's kingdom. In fact, it took quite a few supernatural interactions with Peter to move him in that direction. 
Transformation at the worldview level takes time, but until the disciples had experienced that kind of change, they were of little value in the mission that Jesus was calling them to. <clears throat> it seems to me that this problem still exists in the Seventh-day Adventist Church, where many believe the teachings and doctrines of the church. And they have accepted the lifestyle of Adventism, but many of their underlying values and assumptions have not yet been converted to reflect biblically shaped values and assumptions. I believe it's possible for a person to become a follower of Jesus Christ without a change in worldview. However, if in the conversion process, new believers continue to pledge a higher allegiance to the values and assumptions of a postmodern worldview or a magical worldview or a materialistic worldview, their conversion will be incomplete and sooner or later the old assumptions will derail the growth and spiritual development that characterize a true follower of Jesus Christ. It's important, I think, to say a word about the often used phrase, biblical worldview, and here I'll probably step on some toes. <clears throat> I know what people are trying to say, but which of the biblical characters exhibited a biblical worldview? The totality of the worldview values and assumptions of Abraham were different from the totality of the worldview values and assumptions of Moses or David or Peter or Paul. They lived in different eras. They differed they had different cultural backgrounds. And yes, they shared many basic ideas about God and creation, but there were other non-religious assumptions and core values that were different. So instead, I suggest that we use the phrase biblically shaped worldview, or what Larry Lichtenwalter referred to just a little while ago about a biblically informed worldview. Since worldviews encompass much more than religious principles and assumptions, what is really important is for people from various cultures to have their worldviews shaped and informed by biblical principles. For example, a Chinese Seventh-day Adventist can have a biblically shaped worldview, and an American Seventh-day Adventist can have a biblically shaped worldview but in many areas of their life, they will have very different worldview, core values, and assumptions. For example, we're very individualistic. They're very uh, group conscious. There are many, many areas where we can have different core worldview values and assumptions without going against biblical principles. So I like the term biblically shaped worldview rather than biblical worldview. But I will still love you all, regardless of what you use. So. It's easy to find many examples around the world where non-believers, uh, non-biblical practices linger long after baptism among those who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ. In a research release on May 9, 2017, the Barner Group shared some disturbing information about the worldviews of American Christians. They found that only 17% of Christians who considered their faith important and attend church regularly actually have what they defined as a biblical worldview. The Barna Group wanted to discover if and to what degree other worldviews such as new spirituality, secular, postmodern, and Marxist worldviews 
were making inroads among Christians who said their faith was important and who attended church regularly. The findings were shocking. Notice what they discovered. 61% agreed with ideas rooted in new spiritualities. 54% resonated with postmodern views. 29% believed ideas based on secularism. Following are just some of the examples to illustrate what people were saying. Among practicing Christians, 28% strongly agreed that all people pray to the same God or spirit no matter what name they use for that spiritual being. Well, this shows some of the influence of New Age, Eastern mysticism, and some of the Eastern religions on our culture today. 20% believe that meaning and purpose comes from working hard to earn as much as possible so you can make the most of life. That's a pretty materialistic uh, worldview. Another 23% agreed that what is morally right or wrong depends on what an individual believes. Pretty postmodern perspective. These findings seem to indicate that Christians in the U.S. have had their worldviews influenced by Eastern religions, postmodern perspectives, and secularism. The findings also seem to support the growing realization that many American Christians are increasingly biblically illiterate and are having their core values impacted more by the media than by the Word of God. How about in the Adventist church? Are we better at making sure a person's worldview is converted? From what, I've, uh, from what I have observed, our church suffers from many similar problems. For example, in August of 2016, I received a letter from a church leader in Zimbabwe in which he stated that many new converts, and I quote, have had little time to be grounded in Adventist doctrines. In most cases, their former worldviews are still intact. Currently, he said, I am addressing a situation where five churches have had over 300 members removed from church membership because they participated in witch-hunting cleansing ceremonies. These cleansing ceremonies were incidental, but they are a symptom of bigger problems of unreserved, unresolved worldview issues. The issue of the rituals is just one of the many problems. Several other questionable cultural practices are still considered as options when people are in crisis." End quote. Over the last couple of years, the General Conference commissioned a survey to be carried out in all 13 divisions of the World Church. Some of the findings are troubling to say the least and again perhaps indicate that we have done a better job of teaching doctrines and correct behavior than of changing deeply held values and assumptions. Because the data has not yet been released, I can't cite specific divisions. That information will be available sometime in the future. However, let me share just a few items from that survey that looks at the total picture of, of all of the divisions uh, put together. One of the items on the survey stated, when people die, their bodily remains decay and they have no consciousness or activity until they are resurrected. That's good Adventist teaching. Among respondents from all the divisions, 89.6% agreed or strongly agreed with that statement. <clears throat> However, in a subsequent statement that said, the soul is a separate part of a person and lives on after death, 8.3% of the respondents said they were not sure, and an additional 32.5% agreed or strongly agreed 
that the soul is a separate part of a person and lives on after death. Very interesting, isn't it? So we have a belief statement that they agree with, but when you look at the underlying core assumptions, or they have conflicting worldview values that haven't been reconciled with what they say they believe. <clears throat> it's interesting that a large majority answered the belief question correctly, but when it came to underlying assumptions, a large percentage continued to believe in an immortal soul. Perhaps we should not be surprised for many new Adventist members share a cultural and religious heritage with strong Catholic and Protestant teachings concerning an immortal soul. Notice one more statement from the survey. People who have died believing in Christ are in heaven right now. Amen? Are you awake? Oh, oh, didn't hear many. Okay, good. All right. So that was the statement. People who have died believing in Christ are in heaven right now. Among all divisions, 8.2% were not sure, and an additional 19.5% agreed or strongly agreed that if you died believing in Christ, you are in heaven right now. I believe that, that again, uh, these statistics reveal deeply held cultural and religious values and assumptions that continue to intermingle with their Adventist belief system. It seems that these examples illustrate that in all regions of the world there is still much work to be done in discipling people to help them develop a biblically shaped worldview. One concern I have is that in our haste to add members, we have spent too little time in making disciples. Jesus didn't say, go make members. He did say, go make disciples. And there is a world of difference between the two. Too many new Adventists enter the church with unconverted worldviews. In those parts of the world where secularism, Islam, Hinduism, animism, and Buddhism predominate, a two to three week evangelistic meeting will never be able to change deeply held assumptions and values that are not representative of what biblical Christianity is all about. So what is creating this discord between doctrinal belief statements people say they accept and contradictory values and assumptions that lurk beneath the surface? It seems that over the past 35 to 40 years, the very character of Adventism has changed with an eroding of commitment to biblical beliefs and values. At the risk of offending some, I believe that part of the responsibility for this discord between beliefs and unconverted worldview assumptions can be attributed to widespread evangelism methods that have become the norm in the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Many of the world divisions have histories of extensive use of short evangelistic meetings where after two or three weeks with between 10 to 20 presentations, people are introduced to the distinctive Adventist beliefs and then baptized. It may be possible for some to make a commitment to Christ after such a short time, but it's questionable whether they can internalize the message, sort out all the implications of their new commitment, and have a truly converted worldview in just a few weeks' time. Another contributing factor is that in two of the divisions mentioned, there has been extensive use of foreign evangelists. These visiting presenters know little or nothing about the local culture and challenges new Christians face when they start their life, their new life in Christ. The local people who attend the meetings hear powerful and logical presentations dealing with truths 
that are important to us as Seventh-day Adventists. But most series of meetings spend little, if any, time dealing with how belief in Jesus Christ affects cultural issues. If in the conversion process, belief in an immortal soul, the intercession of saints, the strongly held fear about ancestral spirits, and a host of other cultural issues are not explicitly dealt with, then it's little wonder that there is a disconnect between belief statements and worldview values. Another danger of a conversion that does not penetrate to the worldview level is dual allegiance. This is not a problem that is limited to only a few of the world divisions. Many Adventists in the Western world are more cultural than they are biblical in areas such as dating habits, divorce and remarriage, or issues of modesty. In other parts of the world, issues of dual allegiance may be centered on how women are treated, the continued visits to diviners and shaman, or the fear of curses and witchcraft that cause members to continue to seek protection from witch doctors. Dual allegiance can also allow one's primary allegiance to be focused on something or someone other than God. Consumerism, materialism, and individualism have captured the primary allegiance of many in the West. And when Seventh-day Adventists have a higher commitment to tribal allegiance, the result is Adventists killing Adventists in Rwanda or Adventist involvement in ethnic cleansing in Kenya. Dual allegiance also results in syncretism that allows the blending of non-Christian beliefs and worldview assumptions with the teaching of scripture. The goal of Adventist mission and ministry is biblically shaped behavior, biblically shaped beliefs, but also biblically shaped values and deep worldview assumptions. As mentioned earlier, it's been suggested that a person can come to Christ just as they are with their old worldviews. But if they remain in those old worldviews, they will be stunted in their Christian walk and will continue to live with conflict and syncretism. What is needed, especially when working with non-Christian peoples, is for Adventist evangelism to return to the early template, where much longer periods of time were spent in extended Bible study, discipleship, and nurture prior to baptism. I believe that the antidote for syncretism is good biblical teaching. And if we don't have good and extensive biblical teaching, it's no wonder that we end up with syncretism and unconverted worldviews. <clears throat> in addition to longer evangelistic meetings, I would recommend that much more emphasis be spent on topics that apply biblical principles to people's cultural issues. If Adventists continue to practice, if Adventists continue the practice of having only short series of evangelistic meetings with poor or non-existent after baptism nurture and discipleship, we will continue to bring people into the church with worldviews that have not been transformed by the word of God. In North America, if the Adventist church continues to only emphasize the 28 fundamental beliefs as it prepares people for baptism, it will also find that Adventists are drifting further and further from having a biblically shaped worldview. If cultural issues such as same-sex marriages, Halloween, the occult, cohabitation, divorce, what appropriate behavior is when dating, if these topics are not included when preparing people for baptism, our church will also discover that a growing number of people are joining the church with unconverted worldviews 
that will sooner or later stunt their Christian growth and development. If the goal in the conversion process is to transform a person's worldview so that they develop a biblically shaped set of values and assumptions, then it is also important to help church leaders, pastors, and cross-cultural missionaries understand basic approaches that encourage worldview change. I will share two basic approaches that encourage such change. You can read more in Kraft's book, uh, page 56 and 57. First, worldviews can change when people are given a new explanation concerning a belief or some aspect of reality. The new information or explanation sets up tension within their worldview, forcing them to reassess what they think and believe about reality. And Adventists are good uh, at this approach and have used it very effectively in presenting biblical truths in powerful and convincing ways. This approach is most effective among those who are already Christian, among those who are committed to the word of God, and among those who have a basic understanding of biblical teaching. When such people hear biblical presentations on the prophecy, prophecies of Daniel and Revelation or on the Sabbath or on the condition of human beings and death, a crisis begins to rage in their minds. Such a crisis and tension in their belief system creates an opportunity for the Holy Spirit to bring about a change in values and assumptions. However, Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists, secularists, and postmodern people rarely respond to invitations to attend public evangelistic meetings or join Bible study groups, the very venues where most Adventist explanations are given. In such a situation, the second approach to worldview change can be more effective. This approach provides an opportunity for people to have a new experience that again challenges their worldview and causes them to reassess their view of reality. This approach, I feel, more closely mirrors the approach of Jesus, the disciples, and the early church and its emphasis on healing, setting people free from the evil one, and helping people experience the power of a loving, caring God in some practical and experiential way. It's interesting to note that in the book of Acts, the usual pattern of bringing people to faith in Jesus Christ was for the Holy Spirit to initiate some new experience in a city or a village that caused the people to be amazed, perplexed, or shaken. The new experience created a willingness to listen to preaching about the kingdom of God. This is probably what it'll take for people in the world religions and for secular or postmodern people. The church and Christian witnesses will have to begin with an experience of some kind that grabs the attention of the pre-believers. Such people will have to taste and see that the Lord is good before they will be willing to listen to the important biblical teachings concerning the kingdom of God. Adventists have spent the last 150 years honing their skills at explaining biblical truths, and we're good at it. We can make logical, clear, easy-to-understand explanations of biblical truth. It will take the same focused effort to develop new ways to help people experience God's goodness. New experiences that cause an openness to hear the good news can be as simple as providing a loving, caring community where people are accepted unconditionally, or helping Adventist members learn to pray for their sick friends and neighbors, or encouraging people to connect with God's power 
to overcome addictions or challenging people to search for God's help in their area of needs. The Bible assures us that when we seek for God, we will surely find him. Thank you. Well, thank you for both speakers uh, this afternoon. It was really fantastic. And uh, I am so glad that we have uh, also discussion with the non-Christian religion, with uh, Islam, uh, and Larry was leading us, and also very practical, missiological impact on it. And before they will prepare here the stage for um, our panel discussion, I would like to invite you, if you have questions for these two um, brothers who had presentations on Islam and mission. Do you have any questions? Okay, um, um, we need to, uh, so, uh, yes, here we have it. Thank you. My question is for, for you, Dr. Bauer. Um, you mentioned a list of, uh, well, in sharing the, you know, sort of like this dual allegiance and uh, the different issues um, that we face with, uh, you know, um, unshaped, let's say, un, you know, unshaped worldview, un, unbiblically shaped or unbiblical. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. I don't know. All right. But uh, you <clears throat> mentioned a, a list of cultural issues um, here in the United States, Halloween, the occult, cohabitation, divorce. Um, and I was wondering if you have anything to say of the conflation um, between patriotism and Christianity. Um, in the U.S., and if that is, if that's an issue, is, is there... Absolutely. After coming to Andrews, one of the things that a German student asked me was, why do we as Seventh-day Adventists put an American flag on our platforms in our churches when we know that in the future that same power may become a persecuting power? So there is conflict. Uh, I try to encourage my students to become world Christians, rather than American Christians, because we don't want the foreign policy and the policy of the American government to shape our form of Christianity. So yes, I think that there are many cultural issues that we don't talk about. And uh, in just presenting the 28 fundamental beliefs, we probably are overlooking a lot of the core assumptions and values that drive our lives and we don't allow God's power to transform and change us at that level. Very good. Um, here we have three hands, so um, let's stay with the three hands. Uh, one, two, three, okay? So um, can uh, you bring the mic over there? Uh, or maybe I am here faster, I see. <laughs> All right, so the, the first question is here. Well, thank you for your presentations, or your presentations.